welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. This morning we're continuing on in the story of Joseph from Genesis. The series has been called Here Comes the Dreamer. Um, you can turn to Genesis 41 if you want to get ready to finish up that chapter with us today. We've been going on this roller coaster ride with Joseph, right, from regular life with his family that he was in as he grew up to uh, the lowest of lows, and then to what seemed like the highest of highs, and then the lowest of lows again, and now we're going to read about he's back to somewhere he probably never imagined he would be. We get to see right here how the dreamer handles success. might seem like kind of a strange subject to be talking about at church, because we talk a lot about how to handle it when we go through hard times. And for good reason, because going through hard times is not easy and it's no fun and it happens a lot. But we, sometimes as humans, we will run up against trouble. And by the way, trouble is something Jesus tells us we will have, right? John chapter 16, he says, in this life you will have trouble. Sometimes we run into trouble, it takes us much longer than it should to recover. Or if we do recover, man, we're irreparably damaged. We're never the same from stuff if we don't process it correctly. And after all, handling success, it seems like it should not pose that much difficulty. Right? If you go through a hard time, success kind of seems like the goal. If life's hard, you're hoping to succeed on the other side. I want to submit to you this morning that the test of success can be as difficult as anything we ever face as Christians. I love this quote by this guy, uh, J. Oswald Sanders. Uh, he's a pillar of the Christian faith, wrote more than 40 books on the Christian life, and he writes in his book called Robust in Faith, he says, not every man can carry a full cup. Sudden elevation frequently leads to pride and a fall. The most exacting test of all to survive is prosperity. I want you to know I was really purposeful about putting the scripture reference on the sign uh, in your handout uh, that you have in your hand instead of just the title, How to Handle Success, uh, because I want you to know it's more than just a motivational talk, right? You can probably find a church where they give you a motivational talk or go to a TED talk or something like Casey was saying before. <laughs> but I hope it's never said of us that we aren't rooted in the scriptures each time we meet even if we talk about something practical like how to handle it when you succeed. I believe there's a couple reasons that we as humans and especially as Christians, uh, we can struggle when success comes. I think I have these on the screen. One of them is that we lose our focus. We lose our focus. There's this basketball player, uh, a current guy, uh, Jean Morant, man. Uh, he is incredibly talented. If you watch basketball, there's not anybody like him, really. Uh, he's not super tall. He's 6'2". Uh, when he was focused on proving everyone wrong, he was like unranked out of high school, right? They do these recruiting rankings, and he was not on anybody's list. He went to a small college. He dominated. He was a second-round pick in college, but he dominated. And he got to the NBA, and suddenly he had all this success. He has all the money in the world, all the friends in the world, everything he could ever want. But the guy has struggled. He's about to get suspended for half the year just sheerly because he has not been able to handle the success that has come his way. And he had a good upbringing. Sometimes when success comes, we lose our focus. We solve the big problem and we lose our focus. When our focus changes from defeating the problem to reaping the reward, that's when danger comes really quickly. Another reason we begin to rely on our own strength instead of God uh, 
And another reason is that we begin to rely on our own strength instead of God, sorry. And we see this happen even with great leaders in our faith. I don't believe that the vast majority of these people who end up, you know, they fall morally or, or you know, they end up stealing money or something. I don't believe they start out with dishonest motives. I believe they start out with the right ones. I believe they're called to ministry. But success brings a tendency to try to accomplish God's plan without God's help. You can't uh, accomplish God's plan without God's help. And when you start trying, success will ruin you. We see this play out all over our culture each day. Just gave you an example from the NBA. Happens in churches. But I believe in this section of scripture we're about to read, Joseph shows us how to handle success. So let's read our first little section this morning. Break it up into two parts. The first one's kind of short. The second one's kind of long. Uh, Genesis 41, 33 through 37. I'm reading to you the NIV today. It says this. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? I believe we see really clearly here uh, that one of the ways that we handle success is that we allow success to come on God's terms. We allow success to come on God's terms when he wants to bring it. We should give you a little backstory if you haven't read this chapter before. What's happened is Joseph has been in jail. He's been thrown in jail unjustly. Uh, Pharaoh, the ruler of the land, has a dream. No one can interpret the dream. And he hears Joseph can interpret dreams. And he brings him out of prison. One of the key verses we talked about last week was Genesis 41.16. I talked to you last week how it just blew my mind. If it was a movie, you'd be yelling at the screen, right? Uh, to really understand, we got to go back for a moment because Pharaoh calls Joseph out of the prison. And he says to Joseph, hey, I, need, I had this dream. I don't know what it means. And he says, I have heard that you can do this. I have heard that you can interpret my dream. Can you tell me what is waking me up in the middle of the night? And Joseph, after all that he has been through, he's just recently cleaned up from the dungeon, which he had been living in for years, again, unjustly. He says the one thing that it seems the most illogical to say. Pharaoh says, I, hey, hey, Joseph, I heard you can do this. Can you help me? And Joseph says, I can't. Cannot do it. Man, if that doesn't go against every single thing that human nature says to do, right? Because what human nature tells us to do and even what we teach our kids to do when it's great in a lot of situations is if we're presented with an opportunity that's going to completely change our life, you say yes. If someone comes to you and says, uh, listen, I'm going to need you to fly this plane to the East Coast, and it's, we'll give you a million dollars. It's a long trip. We'll give you a million dollars. Do you know how to fly a plane? You learn how to fly the plane, right? <laughs> someone comes to you and says, hey, I have this job I need you to do. It could be really difficult, but financially it will change your life. You go learn how to do the job. This is the opposite. What Joseph does is he says the opposite of what we usually say. We go learn if we have to. But as I was studying this this week, I just really believe God spoke this to me, that Joseph, he can say this, 
Because he has already made the decision to let God bring him whatever success or even life or death that he should have. Joseph's made the decision before Pharaoh ever asked the question. I'm 100% certain of this. Because Joseph tells Pharaoh, hey, God can tell you what this dream means. But he tells him before he's ever heard the dream. Now, if Joseph had said this after he's heard the dream, it might be false humility, right? If Joseph hears the dream and he's like, oh, yeah, God can tell you this. Not me, but God. It might be false humility. But by saying it before, Joseph's taking away his safety net, right? Right? When someone comes and asks you to do something and they're vague about it, you kind of just want to be vague in return so you can find out exactly what you're committing to. Joseph doesn't do any of that. He takes away his safety net because he's 100% confident there's no dream Pharaoh will relate to him that he can't interpret. So one of the questions we might naturally ask about Joseph is how can we be so sure that he, how can he be so sure, right? Well, it seems like Joseph, he had honed his God-given gift and he was prepared for the moment when it came. We continue to see the same concept borne out in what Joseph says here in verse 33 through 36. He's got this plan, right? And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh appointed commissioner. They should collect all the food, keep it in the cities. You see, Joseph's time spent pursuing God's wisdom, it directly influenced the plan that he lays out for Pharaoh. See, what Joseph tells Pharaoh to do is he says, hey, Pharaoh, what you need to do in this famine that is coming, uh, when people are not going to have any food, you need to find someone wise to be in charge of the food you have now. And you need to appoint some overseers, some directors for different parts of the land to make sure it's done as efficiently as possible. No one's stealing any of it. He even says it should be guarded. In there it says it should be kept under the authority of Pharaoh because people can be unpredictable when their survival is threatened, Right? Everyone's nice and happy until your family's got no food, and then all bets are off, right? Joseph even knows this. Keep it under the authority of Pharaoh. Remember that Joseph, he just now found out about the famine. He didn't, when he was in prison, he didn't know about the famine, so he could not have made this plan in advance. And what I believe we should see this morning is that we allow success to come on God's terms when we regularly activate the gifts that God has given us. Let me unpack this for you a little bit. If you've been uh, here the past several weeks, you know this was not Joseph's first rodeo when it comes to knowing the best way to solve a big problem. Right? He got sold into slavery by his brothers. He worked his way from a purchased servant to the top of Potiphar's house, which is he was the captain of the guard, influential guy. But then he got thrown in jail because Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. He worked his way, though. He got thrown in jail, and in jail he worked his way to being in charge of the whole jail. You know, if you got if you got to go to jail, you might as well try and be in charge of it. I guess, right? And all of that has led to knowing exactly what to do in the moment he finds himself in. So he's been honing this gift. He got sold into slavery when he was seventeen. He's thirty years old now. He's been honing this gift for thirteen years. He may have thought this whole time that he was just surviving, but what he really was doing was he was preparing to walk into God's divine call, which was right into Pharaoh's palace. His whole life, he thought, "Man, I am just." Getting through this, I hope I live through being trapped in this cistern. I hope I live through getting thrown in jail by being falsely accused. And what he's really doing is preparing to walk into what God has for him. 
Just briefly, I believe it's the same principle we see all over the Bible, but specifically in the accounts of David and Goliath later on in the Old Testament. Man, that's a great story. Uh, one of my toys I remember most from when I was a kid for some reason was somebody gave me this, like, toy Goliath, huge, and David, and a, you know, like a brown sheepskin thing with a little sling, little plastic guys. You might remember that teenage David, right? He kills a giant with one shot from his slingshot. Big giant, fiercest warrior. He kills a giant with one shot from his sling, one rock. And it really seems unbelievable until you realize, you go read up on it, David had been practicing with that sling for his entire life. When he was born, the Benjamites, a part of the, tr- the tribe he was a part of, those guys, one of the things they hung their head on is we are good at slinging rocks. Man, he went out to herd sheep, and he spent many lonely days bored out there, firing at trees. Maybe a glancing blow to the occasional stubborn sheep if he got real bored, right? Man, am I going to get to hit something else? He even got, the Bible says, to kill other dangerous animals when he needed to to protect the sheep. And there are those who would tell you that all David had to do was just get the stone in the air, and God would take care of the rest. And I am certain that God was going to give David victory because he was being obedient. I'm certain of that. But I believe the stone found Goliath's forehead because David had practiced a God-given gift so much he could not miss. I believe he had practiced it so much he'd honed that gift that when it came time, he had no doubt he was going to hit his target. Now, whether the shot killed the giant, that was up to God. But he was going to do his part. He was going to use his gift that he honed. He was ready to come through when the stakes were the highest point is, friends, in your life, my life, it might just feel like you're doing the things you love. It might just feel like you are enjoying something that you are naturally gifted at. But what if, what if God is preparing you to use that gift for a bigger purpose that you don't know yet? What if the purpose is 13 years away and in between from, but now in the 13 years away, you still have, uh, Jail, or, or uh, being trapped in a cistern in jail, all in between there. Maybe you have a gift of administration or gentleness or organization or math or sports, or you name it, whatever your gift is. If God gave it to you, I want to encourage you, focus on it as much as you can, because he's probably going to use you mightily in a way that you least expect. I was thinking about unexpected things. And uh, we all together went through the, like, the most unexpected thing ever with COVID several years ago, right? It feels good to say that was several years ago. I just say it several. I don't know when it ended, but I say it several years ago. <laughs> I worked at a church. I was a worship pastor at the time. And um, what you did if you were a church then to survive is you streamed your service live online like we do here. And uh, we actually got into that at our church in Kuna where I worked. We got into that pretty early. And uh, I can be a bit of a tinker when it's a thing that I think is awesome. And I think computers and cameras and soundboards, I think it's awesome. I don't want to do it for my job. I, for some reason, it's not fun when I do it for my job because I'm not called to it. That's the reason. Um, but I love tinkering with stuff. Back in the day when the first smartphones came out, I used to uh, jailbreak them or unlock them and tinker with them, right? I love tinkering with stuff. And uh, early streaming when we churches started to stream, the church asked, the church board wanted us to do it, and I said it's going to cost X amount. This is what we need to do. The thing is, we got into it before pretty much anyone. There was not a lot of information out on the internet. Now you go Google 
you know, hop a stream at a church, and there's going to be a 10-step process. Here's what you buy. Here's what you do. But early streaming, man, it was so fun for a tinkerer. Pastor Stan gave me a budget, and I was able to just, like, buy a thing. Like, there was not a ton of information. I was like, okay, well, I'll just buy this. And it just failed miserably. Okay, I'll return that thing and try another thing. I'll try this computer. Man, for a while, we had two soundboards set up in an L, like, at our regular spot in the sanctuary. It was hilariously crowded. One terrible old camera. Man, it was so fun to tinker with that thing. But over a time of a couple years, I recruited some guys, and they helped me, and we got a relatively dialed in, and then COVID happened, right? And I'll never forget when I realized they're going to make us close church. Like, we're going to not be able to have church. So I had figured this out, right, and I took the time to train some more people and do some more things. But here's the point of the story. I thought I had just been doing something I enjoyed, and I was grateful. Like, Lord, thank you that I get to do my job and also tinker with stuff. It's pretty fun. But here's the problem. I realized there's a whole bunch of churches that had not figured out how to stream their services yet. And the church was like either going to figure out how to stream or they were going to die. So I put a call out on Facebook. I said, hey, if you need any help uh, with getting things figured out for your stream, you know, for as long as you're shut down, send me a message. I went and helped like six, seven, eight churches. All my tinkering and my interest in computers and soundboards and cameras, it all led to the time when I got to go help a bunch of other churches. And I'll tell you what, man, I had everything from we got 20 bucks and an iPhone and a tripod, can you help, to one church. It was like we got a $20,000 budget. We have no idea what to spend it on. <laughs> that one was really fun, by the way. <laughs> this is how we allow success to come on God's terms. We use the gifts that he's given us, and he prepares us for a time such as this. One more thing about this section of verses before we move on. Uh, this is absolutely critical to leading a life that is fulfilling. If you don't know the story, right, uh, you would think that verse 36 is the part where Joseph makes his grand proclamation, right? He's been in jail. He gets called out of jail. He interprets the dream. He gives Pharaoh the good plan. And then here is where you would think Joseph would say the thing that all of us probably would be most inclined to say, which is, Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. And I present to you the answer to my problems. Here I am. Thank you for the promotion, Pharaoh. I'm the answer to, to your problem. After all, it's Joseph who had the courage to interpret the dream. It's him who had the plan. But I think it's so vital, friends, to notice what Joseph doesn't do. Joseph never suggests himself for the promotion. Tell you what, in that situation, I'd have been tempted. <laughs> Anything to keep me out of the stinking jail, you know? No, I'm sure that Joseph, he saw the opportunity in front of him. He's a smart guy, obviously. He saw the fact that he'd be perfect for what needed to be done, but he knew that if it was what God had for him, then God would make it happen. And for that reason, he's able to leave the decision in Pharaoh's hands. Might have been scary because he hadn't had great results when others were in charge of him recently, right? His brothers are in charge. He gets thrown in the cistern. Potiphar's wife is in charge. She gets thrown in the dungeon. But he's willing to do it nevertheless. I've said it the last two weeks. I'll say it once more. I don't know why this keeps coming back to me. Somebody needs to know what I guess. But allowing God to bring us whatever success we should have, it's a much more fulfilling and much less exhausting. 
See, friends, one of the ways that we handle success is that we allow it to come on God's terms. And it's so fulfilling when God brings it. I'm not saying I got this figured out. I'm just telling you. It's more fulfilling when it comes on God's terms. I believe we also see from Joseph in Genesis 41 uh, this. God can bring success even in a foreign land. This is kind of a large chunk of scripture we're going to read, but I believe it's really important that we read it together. And I want you to imagine where Joseph has been. Sold into a, or thrown into a pit after he's sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. He's in jail. He's back out. Imagine all the places that Joseph has been. Put yourself in that position and then read the scripture with me. Genesis 41, 37 to 57. It says this. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zapheneth Paniah and gave him a scene, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered service at Pharaoh's king of Egypt. Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son is named Ephraim and is said, because, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And this verse 57 is the kicker we're coming back to at the end. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Because the famine was severe everywhere. I believe God wants us to know this morning, friends. Joseph's life shows us that we can be successful and be a Christian in the world in 2023. You can live in the culture in which you've been placed and you can be successful. Sometimes it's easy to look around and lose hope, so it's really important for us to acknowledge this and say it. I'm not saying there aren't challenges. Because there are, I was just having a conversation with a friend uh, really early Wednesday morning about raising two boys. Uh, he's got two boys as well, about raising two boys in this culture. 
And it's something that I approach with fear and trembling. And every day I wake up and I'm like, what am I going to have to shield them from today <laughs> for as long as I possibly can? I'm not saying any of it is easy for one moment. But I, we can, and I believe it's God's will for us that we will serve him faithfully and even have success in the time and place in which he's placed us. Even if it sometimes seems like the land is more and more foreign each day. If you're like that ever, you wake up and you're like, I don't recognize any of this. Where's all the things that I thought were good? Look at the way verse uh, 38 and 39 are written. Verse 38, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Verse 39, since God has made all this known to you. If you have your Bibles or your scripture in front of you, notice the capitalizing of the word God in there. It's written this way because we are to understand the fact that Pharaoh saw something he did not recognize in Joseph. And it was the Spirit of the living God. One in whom is the spirit of God, since God has made all this known to you. And to understand why this is so significant, you got to know something about ancient Egypt. And that is that Egypt was a pagan culture. They worshipped over 2,000 different false little G gods. The Egyptians believed that cats warded off evil spirits. I would rather have the evil spirits than the cat. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> They believed, they believed the moon came and swallowed up the sun each day. It was much focus on the realm of the dead, scary, demonic things. It was sexually promiscuous, as any culture in the absence of the one true God always is. This was not the land of Israel that Joseph found himself in. This was not his dad's house. This was a powerful and affluent nation, and they worshipped everything but the one true God. Anything else it could find. But because God can bring success in a foreign land, Pharaoh saw something in Joseph. He saw the spirit of the living God. We see it in plain writing right here, right? The reason Pharaoh takes Joseph out of the prison and he makes him second in command of the entire country is it's because he believes God, capital G, God, has given Joseph the wisdom and the understanding to do the job. He's like, I don't know where this guy came from, but this plan seems good. Before we make our way through the rest of this passage, I just want to say to you, uh, if you're serving God, living in the way that he has called us to live, and I know the majority of you in here are, and if you have humbly walked into success that you did not expect, you didn't ask for, because of the gifts that God has given you and you have used, you don't have to apologize for being successful. Do you have to be generous with what God has given you? Of course. Do you have to hold any success really lightly because it came from God and not you? Of course. But friends in the church, we have made this habit of vilifying people uh, that God has brought success to. We assume if they're successful, well, they must have sold out their beliefs. Right, in some cases, maybe they have. But in other cases, and I would submit to you today that it's many cases, God has just honored their hard work and they've sharpened and they've honed their gifts. They spent their whole life practicing with that sling in the lonely nights. And God has honored the fact that they were ready when the opportunity came. And in many cases, I have found this to be so true in my life. It might be painful for you to hear. It's painful for me to hear. But what we believe about other people that we don't even know, it says more about us than it does about them. 
Because the real issue might not be that they've sold out. It might not be there's envy in my heart that it wasn't me. I figured it would be quiet on that part. That's not a fun thing to hear. (laughs) But I have news for you, and this is the part that gives me hope. If there are those that have strayed from God's purpose and they're using his name to profit, God will deal with them accordingly. God's going to punish them, and any uh, slight or slant I could give towards them, it's going to pale in comparison to the way God deals with them. We can trust God to do that. We can place them in God's hands. You see, what we have in front of us is written down proof of someone succeeding mightily in a land that is completely opposite of what he believes. That sounds familiar, right? Look at these verses with me, just a few sections. 41 through 44, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He had him ride in a chariot as a second in command, and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. In those days, that ring they were talking about was like a signature. And Pharaoh gives his signature ring to Joseph. Joseph is going to ride through the city now in a royal chariot. And he'd been through the city one time, but it was as a purchased slave. Now he was going to hold power over even the people who'd purchased him. Verse 44 and 45, we see that Joseph is given an Egyptian name and an Egyptian wife. One thing I didn't even really realize until I was studying this story recently is that uh, Joseph, unlike many other men in the Old Testament, he would love, have and love this wife, and this was the only wife he would have. Makes sense that he'd be given a name appropriate for the culture since he'd be making decisions on behalf of Pharaoh. We don't ever see that name again, but it makes sense he'd be, it'd be given to him. But I'm also convinced that Joseph honored God and he honored his wife with how he lived. We're going to unpack that further in just a second. Because something incredible happens in verse 46. Verse 46, Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and he traveled throughout Egypt. See, Pharaoh knows that Joseph is a Hebrew. But incredibly, Pharaoh gives Joseph his ultimate authority with his ring, the signet ring. And then he sends this Hebrew, who he's never met until this point, out on his own with authority throughout the land. Seems kind of unwise on Pharaoh's part, right? But why would Pharaoh do this? Because Pharaoh saw the spirit of God, capital G God, and because God had given Joseph success and trust even in a foreign land. And don't miss what Joseph does here, friends. Has a lot of parallels to what we do. Joseph is serving God while in the service of a foreign king. Joseph is serving his God while serving a king that does not believe in his God at all. You see, the land that Joseph lives in, it doesn't matter as much as the God that he serves. And we see that Joseph, he goes throughout the land and he executes this plan that God had miraculously, divinely placed inside of his heart. And it's so easy in our current cultural climate to feel that in order to remain loyal to God, we must refuse to work alongside, do anything that benefits anyone who doesn't agree with us completely. But look at what Joseph does in verses 48, 49. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. 
Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. See, Joseph knew that the coming famine would be unimaginable, so he stored up an unimaginable amounts of grain. Because God can bring success in a foreign land. And like we said a moment ago, Joseph's more concerned with the God he serves than what he has in common with the people. Tell you what, in Joseph's situation, I'm real tempted to be like, I'll show you uh, cats warding off evil spirits. See if you have any grain in seven years, buddy. Right? Friends, we absolutely have to. In this culture, I try to teach my sons, teach my daughter. We absolutely must stand up for what we believe in as we go closer to the Lord's return. It's closer every day, whether it's tomorrow or a thousand years from now, it's closer every day. And sometimes, absolutely, that involves a choice where we spend our money or where we spend our time. And there are absolutely places I'm more likely, less likely to go, depending on what they believe or support. Absolutely, I fall in that camp. I know that some of you might not like the decision I make. I might not like the decision you make this part of our lives. But I also know that where we buy groceries or toothpaste or car tires, those are just random things I picked. Where we buy that stuff, it has no bearing on whether we go to heaven. It doesn't. We want to feel like it does, but it doesn't. And Joseph took these gifts that God had given him, and he used them to help the people he'd be sent to. And these people were pagans. They did not believe in his God. I believe that our mandate can be the same today. We go and we serve the people with the gifts that God has given us. And we trust him to put the other stuff in place. We see as well, though, and this part gives me so much hope, Joseph served God with purpose in his family. Like we mentioned a minute ago, Joseph, uh, what sets him apart is uh, from all the other heroes, not all, but a lot of the other heroes in the Old Testament is that he was married to only one wife. We just talked about David from David and Goliath, right? Solomon, who would write Proverbs, the wisest man to ever live. A host of others, they were undone. Their life was destroyed by polygamy or marital unfaithfulness. I believe Joseph's wife is mentioned here, so we know this is the only wife he ever had. And we read, man, this part is so good. We read in verses 50 through 52 about the names Joseph gave the two sons he had with his wife. We have uh, one of those, someone named both those names here with us today. It's awesome. In those names, I believe, is a glimpse of how Joseph's heart is healing as he ages. It was 13 years ago or so when he got sold into slavery. Who knows how long till he had his sons. He names his first son Manasseh. Welcome back, Manasseh, by the way. <laughs> so glad to have you. They came back from out of the country. That name Manasseh means something like God has made me forget. That he has with his Egyptian wife, a second in command of Egypt. And that's, as that son grew, I imagine Joseph every day, he thanked God every day for not forgetting him. God, thank you. But he also had to offer forgiveness each day to his brothers who had forgotten him. Joseph's second son is named Ephraim, which means something like to be fruitful. In doing so, Joseph is acknowledging that his God has brought him blessing in a place that seemed like it would, at first, bring only pain. Joseph, uh, we're going to find out, he's not pretending those bad things never happened. That is never successful. But by naming his sons Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph is acknowledging God's healing. 
in his heart, and he's acknowledging God's faithfulness in his life. Here we just have more proof of Joseph living his life in a way that's honoring to God, all while doing it in a pagan country that's full of idols. Because you see, God can bring success even in a foreign land. Finally, verse 53, the famine comes, and the plan that God gave Joseph, it begins to do its work. Pharaoh sends the hungry people to Joseph, and Joseph is ready to serve the people. That's what God has prepared him to do. But verse 57, it holds the key to the rest of the story. Remember, Joseph was a dreamer. What got him in this mess in the first place is he told his brothers he had a dream that he would be in charge of them. And they said, enough of that, Joseph. We're selling you into slavery. Look at verse 57. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. You see, the famine was not only in Egypt. I'll never, I'll never forget, I don't know how long ago it was when I read this story again with fresh eyes and I realized the pieces coming together. I remember way back at the beginning, we talked about uh, how a dream that comes from God can restore a family. That was the first week of this series, I think. Well, unbeknownst, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to him at this point in Genesis, Joseph's brothers, because they too are experiencing the famine and their family is starving, the brothers who left him in the pit, some of them who just wanted to kill him, those same brothers, they are on their way. You see, God can bring success in a foreign land, but he can also even bring restoration of broken families. And he can even do it in a land that seems on the surface like it's hostile to God. Man, as we unpack the details of this story, it's incredible. I'm here to tell you, friends, if God did it in Egypt, then he can do it in Boise, Idaho. I believe... uh, God would have us know this morning, friends, every single one of you, that God's, his plans for us are good. And though the realization of those plans, uh, they might still be in the waiting, success that comes from God is the best kind of success. He can bring you success in your job. He can bring you success in your school. He can bring you success in your family. And he can even restore your family that has been broken uh, beyond measure by the culture that we live in. Would you bow your heads this morning? We're almost done. I believe God would have us know this morning that he has made us for the time and place in which we now live. He's made you for where you are, friends. And that when we live our lives in a way that is honoring to God, using, honoring our gifts, loving, forgiving, serving, God can help us to thrive right where we are. Even if where we are seems really, really far from where we thought we'd be. A final thought to you, though, and the reason our heads are bowed is that even, even the greatest success in our lives, it will seem hollow without Jesus. Man, you can have it all. You can have the perfect family, the perfect house, the perfect job, but it's going to seem hollow if you don't have Jesus. We're always going to be searching for him until we make him the Lord of our lives. I just want to make sure this morning I give you the chance to do so today. The way we make Jesus Lord of our lives, the way we allow God to guide us is 
uh, we acknowledge, and acknowledge that we are a sinner, in need of a Savior, and we repent of our sin. And we ask Jesus, the sinless sacrifice, to walk with us. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes me, that includes you, everyone to ever walk this earth except Jesus. Friends, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here this morning, and, uh, whether uh, you've known the Lord before and you're far from him or you're here today and you're like, this is all new today, but asking for forgiveness for my sins, that sounds awesome. Making Jesus Lord of my life, allowing the living God to guide me, that sounds good. I'm here to tell you the Bible says that all we must do um, is put our hope and our trust in Jesus and ask him to forgive us. So if you're here this morning, and you either need to accept Christ, come to God for the first time, or maybe you need to come back to him. Would you just raise your hand this morning? I'm not going to take a long time at this, but I want to give you a chance to accept the Lord and rededicate your life today. If that's you. Don't see anyone today, but just know this. As we pray, if you're whispering a prayer to God, that he'd save you. He hears you, whether you raised your hand or whether you didn't. pray over you this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank that you are the Son of God. Come to earth to save us from our sins. God, thank you that you saw fit to send your Son for us. God, thank you for this incredible story you've written down in your word that we can call on. Thank you that this story from thousands of years ago makes so much sense to us because you know us. You knew where we'd live. You knew where we'd be. You've created us for a time such as this. So I pray you'd be with your people today. I pray for those that are just struggling with uh, the expectations and um, the pressures of this world. I pray that you would help every one of us, Lord, to release our anxiety to you and allow you to bring us whatever we need to have. Help us to know, Lord, that uh, if we need to have it, you'll bring it. And just trust in that. Lord, I just pray you'd be with your people today uh, that feel like they're living in a foreign land, like they wake up every day, nothing makes sense anymore. It's not where they thought they would be. It's not what they thought they'd be doing. Lord, I pray that you give them hope in your heart that you will bring them success even in a foreign land, even in a place that seems like it's far from you. Lord, I pray that for these people as they're faithful and loving their family the way you've asked them to, as they're faithful and honest in their finances, as they're faithful and honest in their work, Lord Jesus, that you would bring them success. God, the God of all creation that created all of it, uh, Lord, you speak to our hearts and you'd guide us toward what you want us to do, uh, even in a foreign land. Lord, I pray for those that they feel like, man, they have just been waking up every day doing the same thing, using the gifts you've given them, Every day for a while now, I pray that you would help them know in their heart that you've got a purpose and a plan for them. And you never know what might be around the corner, Lord. Would you prepare us for great and mighty things? Lord, pray your strong hand would be on us. Would you go with us with your grace and your mercy this morning? We love you. We place our hope and our trust in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Man, friends, thanks for coming to church today. Hey, if you, while I was praying, you felt God poking your heart to accept him, come find me. I'd love to talk to you, pray with you. Have a little book I'd love to give you that talks more about what a relationship with Jesus is. Thank you so much for coming to church uh, in summertime. So good to have you. I want to remind you, barbecue Wednesday night, okay? Barbecue on Wednesday night, uh, 7 p.m. Please sign up to bring something on your way out. Uh, and uh, whatever you don't sign up for, we'll make sure is here. We'd love to see all of you. 
Bring a friend with you on Wednesday if you want to, and we'll see you Wednesday night. Thanks for coming on this beautiful morning. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.